Hey, good morning, Res City. It's great to be with you today. My name is Drew Elric, and I'll be reading uh, this morning from John chapter 4, verses 1 through 21. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship? Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Good morning, Red City. My name is Dio. I will now read John chapter 4, verse 22 to 42. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with the woman. But no one asked, What do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Then the same 
one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Amen. One story of someone's encounter with Jesus. And that's why we called this uh, section of John that we're working through, Come and See. Because you have all these interesting interactions where someone encounters Jesus and uh, they come to see who he really is in some roundabout way. So uh, you get to see some pretty strange encounters. The last time I uh, was uh, giving the message, we saw someone named Nicodemus, a man. He had an encounter with Jesus and it was quite strange, right? Jesus talked in metaphor. Uh, it was kind of confusing and he left with like a varying level of how much he understood. And something similar is going to happen again today. We're going to see that Jesus really loves his metaphors, uh, which I am here for. I'm, I'm all about the literary devices. Uh, and we're going to see how this person responds to who Jesus is and what he reveals about himself. So there's a lot going on in this passage, and I want to just give you a roadmap for where we're going today. So the main idea that we're going to look at is that Jesus alone will satisfy us, okay? He's the only one who can bring true satisfaction, and we're going to see that in this passage. And along with that, we're going to see that his satisfaction is the only type of satisfaction that is lasting. We're also going to see that it's available to everybody. And lastly, that this good news about Jesus and his satisfaction is worth sharing. So that's what we're going after today. Um, I want to start by just kind of looking at this idea that Jesus provides the only satisfaction that will last. And we're going to see this in his kind of initial re uh, interactions with the woman at the well that we heard about in the passage. So today he's using kind of images that would have been around him as he's meeting with this woman, as he encounters her on his journey. And uh, he starts out by saying, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So again, with these metaphors, you can either read it as the people who are encountering Jesus are just really dense and are not picking up on what Jesus is saying, and they're just taking him extremely literally. And so she really does think this guy can give me water that will like make me never thirsty again. But I feel like that's a little bit unfair for us to uh, always assume that the characters that we're reading about are just like really not getting it. So I think there's another possibility where the woman here is is at least curious, right? She's seeing that Jesus is this strange guy. He's This is a very weird encounter for her because in that time period, A, men didn't typically talk to women that they weren't related to. Uh, and B, Jesus was a Jew, and this woman was a Samaritan. And there was a big rivalry between those two groups of people. And so it would have been very, very strange for him to come up and start talking to her for both of those reasons, which we'll talk about more later. 
but I think she's also just curious, right? This is a strange interaction, and he seems to be offering something that uh, you can't get here in this world, right? Something that sounds better than what we currently have, and she seems interested, right? She at least wants to know, how. what are you talking about exactly, and, and can I have that? Is there something more than just the current life that I'm living? So what is Jesus actually talking about? Uh, as we'll see again, um, we saw this in, in other encounters where Jesus was kind of referencing Old Testament passages, passages that happened um, in Scripture before where we're at now, and he seems to be having something specific in mind as he talks. And I think this time uh, you can definitely see there's a verse in Jeremiah 2.13 that definitely seems to fit with, with what Jesus is saying. It says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So here we've got another person using metaphor, uh, and it's, it's setting up this dichotomy between a spring of living water, right, moving water that's clean and available to drink, uh, and water that's in a broken cistern. So cisterns were these... Um, like basically underground reservoirs that they dug because uh, they lived in a desert climate, right? We don't always understand this because to us, we're like, we have running water and we live in a land of 10,000 lakes and it's raining, right? Like there's all these ways that we can easily access water, but that wouldn't have been the case uh, for the people living in the ancient Near East. And so what they would do is they would dig these underground reservoirs and uh, to hold water so that they could come back to it in dry seasons or just whenever they needed it. But what Jeremiah is saying in this is he's kind of saying, right, there's this one option that's this clean living water, and there's this other option of you trying to build your own cistern. And I'm not, I don't know exactly how hard it would be to build one, but it seems difficult when I look at pictures. Um, and the thing that happens is if it's broken at all, the water will either leak out or it will get dirty and contaminated and just gross. I've got a picture of this. I don't know if Joel's put it up um, yet, but there's just this picture of like really gross water that's kind of pooled into this cistern that it looks like they spent a lot of time working on and digging. And so Jeremiah is saying that when we turn to God, we have this living water that's clean and always available to us. But when we try to make it on our own and do things on our own, we're digging these broken cisterns, right? It might be clean water at first, right? You dig it, you lay in the stones and everything around it, fill it with water, great. But over time, it just doesn't last. The broken uh, stones and things will allow the water to get contaminated. And he's kind of drawing this comparison that that's what we do when we try to achieve satisfaction on our own, when we try to find ways to do things apart from God uh, and to live our own life and to do it the way we want to, the satisfaction is not going to last. It's eventually going to become dirty and contaminated and not able to drink or to be helpful. And while uh, we don't know how much of the woman at the well, how much of this she picks up on, right? We're not sure how much she gets. It seems that she uh, has experienced some of what Jesus is saying, right? Uh, this idea that if, when you try to do things on your own, it's not going to end up the way you want it to. It's not going to provide lasting satisfaction. And we don't know that much about the woman at the well, but we do know from what Jesus tells us that she has experienced that, where things that she's thought would bring her satisfaction haven't. So we see this in verses 16 through 18. 
This is where Jesus tells her, he says, this is right after the last part we read, go call your husband and come back. And she replies, I have no husband. Jesus says back to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. And I think a lot of people read this passage and we think, oh, wow, this woman like really gets around and Jesus is kind of calling her out for that. But what we have to do is we have to remember to read the Bible in context, okay? So the context of uh, the ancient Near East time that she would have been living in is that women didn't have a whole lot of agency, especially when it came to marriage, okay? So they didn't have the option uh, to divorce. They didn't have the option to, um, to leave, really, unless they wanted to be out on the streets. And they didn't always have a choice in terms of, like, who they got to marry. It's just not at all similar to how we think of marriage currently. So the fact that she has had five husbands either means that her five husbands have died and she's been a widow five different times, or that her husbands have divorced her for some reason. And in that time, husbands could divorce women for pretty much any reason they wanted. So they could have just thrown her out over something small or something they didn't, they decided they didn't like her anymore, so they, they tossed her out. And so she has had a rough time, right? Either she's had husbands that have died or husbands that have kicked her out. And because women like needed men in that society because they couldn't just go out and you know do their own thing and be an independent woman, that wasn't a thing in that time period. She needed to be uh, to have the protection and the um, the resources of a man, and so she's currently living with one who isn't her husband. Whether she's doing that out of immorality or out of uh, desperation, just to have someone to help take care of her, uh, we don't know. But we know that this woman has experienced a lot of hardship. Right? She has been potentially abused by these husbands who have just thrown her out for no reason. She's potentially lost and and had a lot of grief. She just hasn't had the best life. And so considering her circumstances, it'd be understandable if she was disillusioned, right? If she was like, yeah, I have been trying to figure things out on my own as much as I can, and it hasn't really worked out for me, right? I haven't had this lasting satisfaction uh, that I thought I might have. With each new opportunity, maybe she felt like, this is it. This is how I'm going to make it work and make it for myself, and I'm going to be happy maybe this time. And each time it hasn't. You know, she's had this uh, disappointment over and over, these broken cisterns that have not provided lasting satisfaction. And so I think it makes sense that she's interested in this idea of living water, this idea of an eternal well that could provide for her consistently, right? It makes sense. And you might be thinking, okay, sure, I can understand why someone who has been through something like what she has been through would be interested in what Jesus has to offer, right? Would be interested in learning more. But I'm not really in that place, right? You might think, I've got a lot of agency over my life. I've got these goals. I'm doing the things that I want to do, and I'm going to make it, right? I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be successful. I'm going to be loved, whatever it is that you're looking for. You might think like, no, I'm doing okay. I I can do this. I don't need some offer of some strange metaphor or living water. But I want to point out that even the most successful people sometimes feel disillusioned with their life. Um, One in particular, I recently watched the Taylor Swift documentary on Netflix. Uh, If anybody else has watched it, I know others of you have. I've talked with you about it. 
Uh, and one moment particularly stood out to me. If you don't know who Taylor Swift is, she's a, a singer. She's, I mean, I don't know how you don't know who Taylor Swift is, but <laughs> if you don't, she's a singer. She's really popular. Um, and there's this moment in the documentary where she says, she's just reflecting on her life and her career and experience up to this point. And she says, as she's talking about winning album of the year for the second time at the Grammys. So I think she's still pretty young when this happened. Um, and she's already made some major uh, successes, had some pretty big awards and all these things. And she said, you get to the mountaintop and you look around and think, oh God, what now? And you just, she reflects on how there was this idea that this thing that she wanted so badly and that she had been working towards her entire life, she got it. And then she didn't know what to do next. She felt this pressure of like, now I have to reinvent myself again so that I can, I can win another award or I can be as successful. My next album can be just as good. I'm going to have to work twice as hard to make it as good as the one that I just had. People are always going to expect more of me. And so as much as you might want to say, yeah, I can understand why the woman at the well might be interested in something different, might be interested in checking out like who Jesus is. I think even the people who make it big feel this, right? There's this idea that even when you get what you want, you realize that in some ways it's still just a broken cistern. It's not satisfying in the long term. I'm sure there are moments where you're like, wow, this is great. But then that fades. And what do you have left? What do you do next? You can keep working. You can keep striving and keep uh, reinventing yourself and trying to be better and, uh, than you have been before. But no matter how far you go, there's always going to be an end to that. So no matter where you fall in the spectrum of, of not having a lot of agency in your life to having a lot of agency in your life, uh, eventually we realize that all the things we do to try to better ourselves or to achieve these small moments of satisfaction, they just don't last. But there is something that does. And when we try to stop building our own cisterns and achieve satisfaction for ourselves, we can find rest and lasting satisfaction in Jesus. In Matthew 11, 28 and 30, Jesus says, this is another passage where Jesus is talking, and he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And he can say all of this because he has already done the work. He has already achieved in the biggest way possible. He came to earth himself. He lived a perfect life and he died on the cross for us and rose again. He has victory over sin and death and he conquered the grave, right? These are all things that we uh, sing in our hymns and different things. And so he has accomplished it all, right? And so he can say, you no longer need to work because when you find your rest in me, all of that has already been accomplished. You no longer have to keep striving to make your life and to find those moments of satisfaction because anything you want in this life is going to be uh, even more so experienced in the life to come, the life, the eternal life that we will have in Jesus. And even the things you might want in this life, you can find more of that in Christ than anywhere else. If you're looking for peace during this pandemic and you're, you're looking for a rest from anxiety, you can trust in Jesus and know that he has overcome all of this and that we don't need to be worried about what's coming to us. If you're looking for happiness, uh, you're like, I'm just going to do what makes me happy. 
all of those things won't last. But the joy that comes in knowing Jesus and knowing what we have in the life to come, that will last. That joy and happiness will, uh, will be with us forever. If you're looking for love, you're like, yeah, I just want to find someone who's going to love me for who I am. There is no one who's going to love you for who you are more than Jesus. And we see that even in this passage with the woman at the well. So Jesus alone will satisfy you. All of our other efforts will not last, but Jesus will. And unless we turn to him, we won't experience that. When we do believe in him, we can receive our identity from him. We can stop trying to achieve on our own, and we can take rest in him. And here's the really cool thing, is that this satisfaction is available to anybody, okay? It is not just for some elite group of people who do the right things and check the right boxes. It's available to anybody who believes in Jesus. And you can see this very, very clearly in the story that uh, we heard read earlier. Because like I said, Jesus starts talking to the woman at the well, and it's surprising for two reasons, right? I said surprising because she's a woman, and it's surprising because she's a Samaritan, So I wanted to give you a little bit more background, okay? So it's surprising that she's a woman because Jesus was a rabbi. He was a teacher. And uh, I'm going to give you some quotes I read about how it would have been viewed for a rabbi to talk to a woman in this time. Okay, so one of them said, Some, though by no means all, Jewish thought held that for a rabbi to talk much with a woman, even his own wife, was at best a waste of time and at worst a diversion from the study of Torah, the Bible, and therefore a potentially great evil that could lead to hell. Okay, there's another one. Some rabbis went so far as to suggest that to provide their daughters with a knowledge of the Torah was as inappropriate as to teach them lechery or to sell them into prostitution. Okay, so this is very surprising that Jesus would be taking the time to talk to a woman and not only talk to her, but to explain spiritual things to her and to have a spiritual conversation with her. And a lot of men might think, like, if they had heard a lot of men who had been around, they might have think, wow, I'm not going to follow this guy anymore, right? Like, he's talking to a woman. What kind of teacher is this? Why would we follow him? So Jesus is willing to risk his entire reputation and his followers and his influence, all of his influence that he has, to talk to this woman about spiritual matters because he cares about everybody that much, right? Satisfaction is available. The satisfaction in Jesus, it's available to anybody, And then two, uh, as I mentioned before, she's a Samaritan and he's a Jew. And there was a long history of a big feud between these two groups. I'm not going to get into all of it. uh, But at this point in history, they've been feuding for a long time for both religious and political reasons. And they disagreed about land. They disagreed about where and how to worship. uh, They disagreed about which books of the Bible people should study Uh, even about who the Messiah would be and and what he would do when he came back. So the hatred and the disdain that these two groups had uh, was like on par with um, like Protestants and Irish uh, Catholics, right? In that time period, there was a huge disagreement, huge feud between them, Uh, like Serbs and Muslims in Bosnia or like opposing gangs in LA, right? If you can just imagine how these two people felt, they were territorial, they were... um, just aggravated against one another. They didn't agree on anything and they just didn't associate with each other at all. And if you were seen associated with one of the members of the other group, it was a pretty big deal. You'd get in trouble with your people. Um, it, 
yeah, again, so Jesus, again, is risking his reputation. He's risking all of his followers. He's probably making a lot of people really angry by talking to this woman, and yet he doesn't consider those things because he wants to make his satisfaction, this living water, available to anybody who is interested in it. And, you know, some people think of Jesus, they think, oh, he was just a good teacher, right? He was just someone that people uh, followed. He was a good leader, but that was pretty much all he was. But here's the thing. If Jesus was really just trying to be a good teacher that people liked and people followed, this would have been like uh, social suicide or political suicide for him to do this. No one would follow him. No one would take him seriously if he was doing this. But Jesus isn't just a politician or a good teacher, right? He's the Messiah. He's the savior of the world in the flesh coming to make salvation available to everybody. And he lets the woman at the well know this. In verse 25, the woman uh, is still trying to, you know, figure out who exactly this Jesus guy is. And she says, I know that the Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And this should blow our minds because there are only a few places in the Gospels, the books that tell the story of Jesus's life, where Jesus actually acknowledges that he is the Messiah. And here he does it in Samaria, in hostile territory, to a woman of all people, right? And it's because Jesus, he doesn't care about gender. He doesn't care about ethnicity, religious, political practices, sexual history. None of that is a barrier to him. It's not a barrier to him if you're a Democrat or a Republican. It's not a barrier to him if you identify with Catholic, Jewish, Muslim, Hindu practices. It's not a barrier to him if you've never been in a relationship or if you've been married five times. It's not a barrier to him if you're black, white, Asian, Hispanic. Jesus makes himself available to anybody who's interested in learning more about him. He's willing to risk his reputation for it. He's willing to risk friends and followers over it. And ultimately, he's willing to die for it. Eventually, he goes to the cross to die for everybody. And he says, anybody who believes in me, you can have eternal life just by confessing that I am Lord uh, and calling on, the, on my name to be saved. And Jesus lives that out in who he interacts with and how he interacts with them. He's the only thing that will satisfy us, and, make that, and he makes that satisfaction available to everybody. Okay, and lastly in this passage, we see that this is, this is good news, and good news is worth sharing. Uh, I don't know if any of you have watched this, uh, but John Krasinski, the actor from The Office, has been putting out these YouTube videos where he sort of pretends he's a news anchor for a, a fake news station called Some Good News. And literally all he does is he shares these real stories about like good things that people are doing out in the world. Um, it's definitely worth checking out, especially if you are an Office fan. And uh, I would just say, if you're going to watch it, make sure you have some Kleenexes with you because uh, it, it's a little bit of a tearjerker, right? He shows the good things that are out there in humanity. And he does it just because he has this idea that good news is worth sharing. And that's exactly uh, what the woman at the well does. We don't know fully like how much the woman understands who Jesus is based on their conversation, uh, but we see in verse 28 that she uh, it says, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? So she at least has a, an idea that he could be the Messiah, right? She has this possibility. And some scholars have noticed that in the passage it says she 
she leaves her water jar at the well and goes to tell these people. And so some people have um, raised the question, is her leaving the water jar there symbolic of an idea that she has accepted that she wants the living water that Jesus has to offer? And so it's supposed to be a little sign that shows that she gets it um, as much as she can. So uh, what's even more striking about this idea that she goes out into the town to tell people is that uh, these are people she would have previously had a reason to avoid. Um, with being someone who was living with a man who she wasn't married to in that time, she probably would have been outcast, especially with all of her previous marriages. People might have been talking about her. She probably wouldn't have been super welcomed by a lot of the people there. Uh, and yet, when she gets this good news, she doesn't think about any of that. She runs out to share it with people, right? She shares it with everybody in her town because she knows that it's something that's important and something that's worth telling others about. And she's not the only one that uh, encourages this idea of sharing the good news. Jesus actually talks about this with his disciples when they come back at the, at the well. So remembering from the passage you heard earlier, um, it says that, Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. When his disciples said to each other, Could someone else have brought him food? I love this. It's like, they're like, did uh, DoorDash suddenly show up? Or like, you know, did he get food in some other way? I I don't get it. And Jesus, again, speaking in metaphor, says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. So he uses this harvest language and this idea that uh, people who were in agriculture would have said like, oh, it's not time yet to start harvesting. We still we still have like a, a few months or whatever, right? If you're a gardener, you know, like, oh, you might want to start picking your produce now. But really, you know, if you wait a little while, it'll be better. Um, that's always my problem. I always pick it too early. Uh, so he's, he's using this idea and he's saying, you think, you know, the harvest is still four months away, but it's now. It's because of me, Jesus. He's like, I, I am the reason you can start harvesting, right? I am the good news. Let's start sharing it. And we can do that now. Uh, it's time. I was recently talking with a friend who uh, just made the observation that Christians seem to like only like to really hang out with other Christians. Uh, and he was a little confused by this. And, but ultimately, he was like, you know, I know people like to hang out with people who are like them. So I guess it makes sense. Uh, but the thing is, is that's not how Jesus lived, right? Living in a Christian bubble with only people who believe the same things that you do and act the same way that you do, that's just not who Jesus was, right? We see that in this passage. And as we endeavor to be more Christ-like, I think we should be moving towards other people who are different from us, whether that's in ethnicity or religious practices or political beliefs. uh, It's it, we should be moving towards people regardless of that because the good news, the, the news that Jesus will alone satisfy is available for everyone, not just for people who are similar to us. So if we've encountered Jesus and we believe that he is the only one who can satisfy, then we should want to share that with other people. And not only that, but Jesus says that this will actually be fulfilling for you. He says when the disciples ask him about this food, he said, it is uh my food is to do the will of him who sent me. His food, the thing that fulfills him, the thing that sustains him, is to do the will of the Father. And I think that's true for us too, right? While only Jesus will bring us satisfaction, 
doing the work of sharing that good news with others and living lives that emulate Christ is going to be fulfilling for us, right? It's going to provide purpose. It's going to make us feel uh, like we are doing what we're supposed to be doing. So honestly, it becomes a win-win because we get to share the good news with others and we get to have that sense of fulfillment and others get to come and see the real Jesus and to experience him for who he is, just like the woman at the well did. So, uh, as we wrap up, I want to kind of I want to give us a couple application points to think on. Okay, so one of them uh, is just going back to this idea of the well and uh, the broken cisterns and finding satisfaction in Jesus. So I want you to give up on trying to build cisterns of your own. Okay, I want you to put the shovel down. Right, that's something that we say when you're like you're just digging yourself a hole. You're digging yourself deeper. We are just digging ourselves deeper. Every time we try to achieve satisfaction on our own, it's just not going to provide. And so I want you to put the shovel down and move away from building your own cisterns and turn instead to Jesus as the true satisfaction. Okay, I recently heard a quote from Tim Keller, and he said, Christianity is the only identity that is received, not achieved. So we are given this identity in Christ. Through Jesus, we find all of this lasting satisfaction. And it's a gift. It's just given to us, right? We don't have to achieve it. We don't have to build our own cisterns. And if you're thinking, I don't know if I'm doing that, right? How do I know? I'm just going to give you a couple questions. These are, by all means, not the only things that you could think about. But here's just a few. Um, An easy one. Okay, so when you're posting something on social media... How long does it take you to to figure out exactly how you want to post the picture and what you want to say in the caption? Um, I ask this because I think that gives us a sense for how much we're trying to like present ourselves in a certain way. We're building a, a cistern of some sort in the way that we're trying to present ourselves to look a certain way so other people will think of us a certain way. I just want to ask you, how much time do you spend on that? I think that could be a good indicator. And something that goes along with that is just how much time do you spend thinking about what other people think of you? Because again, if you're trying to achieve satisfaction and build this like identity of your own, um, trying to make it on your own, you're going to be thinking a lot about how other people perceive you, right? If you're at work, you might, or at work, if you're on Zoom, (laughs) uh, you might be thinking, you know, how did the other people at work think about me when I said that? Was that a good idea? You know, you're constantly trying to achieve satisfaction on your own by building your own identity and thinking about how you present yourself to others. But the truth is is that when you find your rest in Jesus, you don't need to do that anymore because those things are not the things that will provide you satisfaction. And then lastly, another question just to think about is, do you have a list of things that you're like, yeah, once I accomplish this, then I'll be satisfied, right? I just need to, I need to get that promotion at work, or I just need to, um, you know, get that house or find that person to be in a relationship with or whatever it is, even if it's small things. Do you have a list of things that you're like, yeah, once I accomplish that, then I'll be satisfied, And I'm not saying you shouldn't have goals, right? Goals are good. Goals are a good thing to have, to be working towards something. But when we put all of our hope and all of our um, desire to be satisfied into these things that we're trying to do, we're still building broken cisterns. They're not going to provide lasting satisfaction. Only Jesus will. So that first point of application is just to put down the shovel, okay? Stop trying to build your own broken cisterns and look to Jesus instead. 
And then the second point is just uh, share the good news, right? Don't keep it to yourself. Be willing to share just like the woman at the well was. And find purpose in being able to tell other people the story of Jesus and what Jesus has done in your life. And there's a few things that go along with this that I want you to think about as well. Okay, real encounters with Jesus deserve to be shared. And if you're not, if you are a believer already, you're like, yeah, I follow Jesus. I, I you know, made that decision when I was younger. If you're not currently regularly spending time with him and having encounters with him through prayer or scripture or whatever it is, you're not going to have anything to share, okay? And so you're not going to feel this desire to go out and tell people about Jesus if he doesn't actually mean that much to you in your personal life. So think about what real encounters with Jesus um, look like. And, and if you're not experiencing that right now, don't, don't go out and try to share it. But, but first, in your own personal life, try encountering Jesus. Try spending time with him in prayer or in scripture. Um, even if you're not sure about Jesus yet, if you're still like, yeah, I'm, I'm here, but I'm not entirely sure I'm ready to commit to this. Just try spending time with him. Read about him in scripture. Um, talk to other people who, who have encountered him and hear their stories uh, because it's, it's the real encounters with Jesus that are the things that need to be shared. And then if you're thinking, uh, I just, I feel uncomfortable sharing with other people. What if they ask me questions that I don't know the answers to? What if they, um, you know, never want to speak to me again because I brought up religious things with them? I just want to encourage you to just do what the woman at the well does, right? She shares her experience. And I think that's something we're all okay with right now, right? It's okay to tell your story to other people. People who know you want to hear about your life, even if your experience is different from them. So I encourage you, just tell your story. Um, tell about the hope you have in Jesus, the things that, the way that your life is impacted by, by Jesus and who he is. All right, so those are our two application points. Just the idea to, to stop trying to build your own cisterns uh, and then to continue to share the good news of Jesus. All right, so normally we take questions right now, but I realized that I forgot to say that we were taking questions in the beginning. So it sounds like we don't have any today. Okay, so if you still have them, you can throw them in there. Um, and if I don't get to them during the live stream, I will, uh, I'll send you an, a message or, or we can do it over Facebook or whatever it is. So, um, so now what we're going to do is I'm going to pray for us and then we are going to uh, take communion together. So this is one way for us to be together as a family and to uh, remember who Jesus is even while we're separate. So if you have things at home to take communion with, like if you have grape juice or wine, or um, I know some people are just using whatever they've got, that's great. And then if you've got something like crackers or bread or whatever, uh, we're going to take communion together as we remember uh, who Jesus is. So I'm going to pray for us and then we will take communion. So if you don't have your stuff with you, go grab it now. All right, Lord, we praise you that you are the only one who offers us living water. You are the one who offers us satisfaction um, and that you you can do that because of what you did in your life. Because you came and you lived a perfect life and you died on the cross for us and you rose again, right? And so we can trust in that. And so Lord, I just, I, I praise you for that and I, I thank you that you are willing to come to us and to offer that to us. Lord, I confess that uh, we often turn away from that and try to build our own cisterns. We try to find achievement and satisfaction on our own when really we should be looking to you. So Lord, we confess that and we ask that you would give us 
um, eyes to see you and to turn to you and have real encounters with you that remind us that we don't need to continue to build our broken cisterns. We don't need to continue to achieve or strive. Um, We can find rest in you and who you are. And so, Lord, we praise you for that. And we ask that you would remind us of that as we head into this next week. In your name we pray. Amen.